I know we talk about being neighbors and thinking about the neighbors we have and inviting in, but I know we get busy with life, and so what happens is we forget about it. So my prayer is, is that we will each, by doing that, take a little more seriously and be thinking a little bit more because the blessing and foundation of the Reformation is the return to the Word of God. The fruit of that is the return of being those who are certainly missionaries. Missionaries on behalf of the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. So today we're talking about and building a legacy. And I want to start this short series on this because that's what we're living in is in a legacy of the word. The Reformation was wider than the Lutheran Reformation, but the Lutheran Reformation was the catalyst for what was to come and changed not only that by Protestant churches, but frankly changed the Roman Catholic Church at that time because there was a vast what they called counter-reformation or working themselves on a who are we as a result of the discussions and talks. And so that, that not only was the church world in terms of Protestants, Protestants uh, changed, but then also really the world religiously. It also had vast changes. And, and today as we think about this, and I'll just you know, kind of ask you this, you know, what does the Reformation mean to you? It means a lot to the world. We would not be living as we do today if it was not for Martin Luther. It's one of those striking pieces. And I know uh, Lutherans ourselves were a little shy to mention Martin Luther too much because we don't want to glorify the man or get ourselves turned in the wrong direction. But frankly, without Martin Luther, much of what we see today would not exist. Because the word and the movement of the Reformation in terms of the faith and walk of the church was forever changed. Because if you think back, what had been going on? Well, the early church, let's back way back. The early church, which lived in many ways underground in the early years, which people were certainly taken to their death and killed for their faith, was a fledgling group that if anyone would have thought this group would survive, much less thrive, would have seemed impossible because all the powers that be were against it. Nero, you've heard that name before, enjoyed toying with and killing Christians for sport. It was thought that this small group could be picked on and then utilizing that sort of thing, forget King, you know, Game of Thrones and all that, this was gross, ugly, horrible treatment of those who confess Jesus Christ as their Savior. But out of that time of those early Christians holding to that faith, sharing that word, that word of God was not found in an easy book that which you can pick up and read on your own. It was found in bits and pieces which they would share with one another and trade so that the book of Ephesians might be in one church for a while and then trade it over to another congregation. So if you can give us Philippians, we'll give you Ephesians. The book of John, the book of Mark, they were highly, highly coveted, cared for, even in their form of written on the type of paper and the type of, uh, of parchment they were on, by which they were worn on the edges and frayed so much so that sometimes you'll find as the Bible was put together in that later uh, Latin out of the Hebrew and Greek and then also later in German and English, sometimes there's a little bit of argument about certain words because the endings of the words were worn off the edges of the parchment. So was that a participle or was that a verb? 
Now I can assure you is with a vast number of uh, pieces of literature that were found and as they put that together they were able to say with great certainty this is what it said. But those early Christians didn't make it easy because they had such a hunger and desire for the Word of God they literally wore out the pages sharing and reading what God had to say. Now out of that what came is over 400 years the Christian church grew and became a force within the greater Western world. So much so that a guy by the name of Constantine announced and said the Christian church not just will no longer go against it and kill Christians, but it is now the church of the holy, this is where the word holy came in, holy Roman Empire. Now in many ways it felt like a time of rejoicing because the things that happened to go from those persecuted to being named, if you will, the state church seemed like a great victory. But I think, in fact, it was the opposite because what happened was the expectation and the hope and the encouragement was people live out their faith that it impacted folks so much that that focus on the Word of God and people living out that Word of God allowed the church to grow. And then when it was named and, in a sense, institutionalized, it changed. Suddenly you rely, you know how things go when you start putting things in institutions. You worry more about rules, laws, who's in charge, who's in control, blah, blah, blah. Theological terms, blah and blah and blah. So what happened is the church shifted and changed. Instead of being a church fo focused on the gospel of Jesus Christ, it became focused on the church itself. It became focused and moved toward uh, not what does God say, but what do people say and what does the church say. And not that I'm a member of the body of Christ, but I'm a member of the church. Turning and flipping back from what it meant to be first in Christ and then made and being the church, which was people, the body of Christ, not an institution, buildings, and governance. It became twisted and turned to the point where people began to ask questions. And even before Luther, there were those who said, wait a minute, is this where we're supposed to be? Is this what the Bible says? And many of those voices were cut short because they were burned at the stake, stoned, left for dead, disappeared. So this Luther is quite the piece anyway because this man, this little monk, this guy who desired to be a lawyer at one time and then went into the ministry instead, someone who was studying to be a monk and a priest, began to, through that, study the Word of God and the Word of God, as we just heard read by Pastor Jeff a moment ago from Romans 3, stuck in him because he himself had struggled within, not blaming the system, but he himself struggling with his own sinfulness, his lack of ability to keep up with what he perceived to be God's will for him and what he had to do to please God. And when he saw these words and he had the gospel again revealed to him, he began to look back and he looked historically and he said, we need to turn the church back. Not let's leave, not let's go, but we need to turn the church back. Now, if those words would have existed in that day, here's what I believe they were living with. And you've heard these terms today. They were dealing with fake news. Aren't you getting tired of that phrase? 
But they were dealing with fake news. It's not a bad phrase because the fake news was being put out by, of all things, the church. The church was saying, we have a word for you versus God has a word for you. The church said, we'll decide for you instead of what God's will is for you. The word was, it's not enough for you in this thing called the cross and resurrection of Jesus. It was people going and having moved over the centuries into a different place. And the fake news poured on all people and they felt the heaviness of not a God who loved them, but a God who looked at them and said, not enough. But you say, wait a minute, aren't there fact checkers? I always say this now, check the fact checkers, right? Because the fact checkers was the church of the day again. Oh, let's check that. Nope. And Luther said, is this not what it said? And they said, let's check that with the fact checkers. Fact checkers. Sorry, not pointing at you. Nope. And they were living, and frankly, it was under basically this. They had formed their lives and had formed themselves around the aspect that this system kept them in money and kept them in power. What runs most things when you run across problems in life? It's money and power. And I'll say this about Luther. As much as we would like to extol him, he was naive. He was naive. He thought if he showed them and said, here's what the Bible says, people would say, wow. Instead, people said, kill him. See, what happened out of that was, and this is the, really the mercy of God and the grace of God, so many who had gone before him and asked the question had been killed, and there were those who were looking to kill Luther. Most of his lifetime, he was on the run. It was only by God's grace, and I think it was the timing of God and the place of God to bring us back to the Word of God, and it changed the Catholic Church by which he was in, and it changed with the churches that came out that the focus would be on the Word of God. Now, it shifted so many other things, and this is why I say to the kids, your life is different, because when people came out from under this idea that we are controlled by any entity, whether it's the church or a government, when it came to the idea that there is no reason for thought, and with the printing press and so many things being written and people saying, wow, who knew? It began to explode in terms of education. It changed the educational system by which more people became educated, more people became open, not only to the Bible, but other readings. It became something which the political system became under question. So without Martin Luther, we would not have had the French Revolution. And I'll tell you this, with no apology at all, we would not have had the American Revolution. Because it took that piece spinning into place by which people thought of themselves differently between God and themselves and that there was no one between them, whether it was government or church. That's why Luther wrote a lot during the time of the Reformation to not make us either think that they are not God's use. So we had the kingdom of the left hand, which was the church in the sense of the governance, but especially politics, kings, etc. And he said these are also tools of God. So he was not looking for anarchy, but to understand God's hand. And the kingdom of the right hand, which was the more powerful thought, which is always the encouragement and the movement of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because governments may try to motivate us, jobs may try to motivate us, but the only true change comes by 
the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I'm asking you, what does the Reformation mean to you? I ask that because my concern is, is that today what happens is there's new fake news. The fake news is that this is somehow a personal spiritualization of whatever I feel good about. That the fake news is, is that you still have to, in different forms, do something to please God or some entity that's out there. The fake news is we don't need the body of Christ and to be around the word of God. And the fact checkers are saying, well, you know, we're not so sure about this God thing anyway. We're still dealing today with fake news. So we can do more together. This legacy idea, which moves into this reformation, is saying that we are concerned about our future and the future of our children, that we can be in the word of God. We have the freedom. Our word of God does not look like Piggy Joe's new Bible, by which we have no idea by what it says. We have the ability and the choice to come and worship, to be in Bible study, to take that word of God home and have it be a part of it in the fiber of our lives. And if the news that we're taking into that or the facts that we're living on is just let it go and we'll put importance on every other part of our life except, then we're back to blank pages. Jesus emphasized in our gospel today and he says to us about the importance of this word of God. He wasn't speaking about Martin Luther in any way, but Martin Luther understood the words of Jesus. And so as we read the gospel lesson and Jesus wanted to move into us and say, listen, here's the facts. So Jesus said to them, who believe, the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. That there is an aspect of now that the fact and the truth of the matter is this, that God's word now is moving in us. That as we make that our legacy, that if there's anything that can be said of us, and I think about this every time we've had a funeral lately. You know, the first many years of my life here at Resurrection, we didn't have many funerals. We've had, and you've all, in one way or another, been at a funeral here. And every time I've done one, I'm thinking a legacy. What will our children remember about us? What will our family remember about us? I think if you ask my boys today, they might tell you, well, dad's great at travel. He can get more free travel with points than anybody I've ever seen or known. Probably true. Is that the truth that I want my children to know about me? Dad was dedicated. He worked hard at whatever he did. Dad was funny. Or at least he thought he was. If you laughed, he'd finally stop taking joke, telling jokes, you know. What is it? I would like that to be, and I think we all would want to be this, is that we are those who abide in God's word. That the word of God has moved us in whatever part of life, where we work, where we live, how we go about life, how we think. That Jesus would say about us, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, that that would be with that. And that we could say this too, and you will know the truth. See, here's a fact checker right here. Here's fake news. There's fake news today in the world says this. There's not really truth. Or we say it this way. Well, that's your truth. That's your truth. 
And what we've set up for our children, what we've set up for our families, what we see happening in the chaos of the world is this. If there's no real truth, then there's no foundation for life. There's nothing that gives us a mooring. There's nothing that sets for us an opportunity to know exactly what God is about and what truly then our lives are about. You have to live and you have to have truth. Your children, your grandchildren, your nephews, your nieces, your friends are going to come across this over and over again that there really is no truth. So for us to live truth is not to come down with a hard hammer. It's not to come and scream it out loud. It's to live it, believe it, and love it. That the truth that sets us free gives us a different ability to do things. I tell you about Martin Luther and the history in the world and what all has been going on during this time. They got away from the oppression to having freedom. My concern is that we've come in so much love of freedom, we've forgotten what it takes to have it and what it takes to live it. And when Jesus says that truth will set you free, it's not just from something. It's for something. You are not set free so that you can have whatever life you want. You didn't get set free so that you could have any dark opinion of your spouse, of your children, of your coworkers. You were not set free so that you could just be taking care of yourself. You were not set free so that you live only for yourself. You were set free so that you could change the lives by your life among other people. You could love your spouse when they drive you crazy. You can love your children when you say, what in the world happened here? You can love your in-laws even. Jesus set us free for a purpose, and that truth is there. Now, here's what happens, of course. The fact checkers come in and say, wait a minute. You have to set us free? We're offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? What happens is that we are so involved with ourselves, we feel that our reality is so much that we have done everything for ourselves, we deserve everything for ourselves, we're responsible to no one else, that we believe that we don't even need freedom. We can live our life on our own terms. But these, these fact checkers, when they bring this up, are ignoring the very fact of what God has said ab about us. In Romans 3, it said, you know, there's no difference between who you think you are and who others are. There's no difference at all, for we have all sinned and fall short. Now, maybe you fall shorter than I do, or maybe I don't fall as short as you do, or maybe... We know people that we look at and say they don't fall short at all, but God says about us, we all fall short. And if it's in nothing else but our selfishness, our pride, we need to check the real facts. So Jesus answers them and says this. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practice, practices sin is a slave to sin. We can do more together, we said. But we can do more together when our focus is not as those who want to preserve 
the life we believe we deserve or preserve our pride or preserve our control or preserve our power or preserve our 401k or preserve the life that we believe we deserve. It's living out and doing more together as we find what God wants to do and where God is working. I said in the early church, you know, they were dying for their faith. It's amazing to me that they would die for their faith because I won't take time out to walk across the street and introduce myself to a neighbor. They were threatened with death in their own churches if they didn't discount Jesus Christ. And yet, I would rather sleep in on Sunday. I know you'd miss me, but I mean, I would rather sleep in on Sunday. I would rather watch the Texans versus be in the Word of God. I would rather, even though I said I'd never watch the World Series, I've snuck a few looks. I was pretty ticked off about the Astros not getting there, don't, won't lie. But I'll waste time on the computer versus putting myself into God's Word. Am I a slave to sin? I'd say no, but why am I always focusing myself everywhere but where God would take me in my life and here? What's my legacy? Jesus has the real facts. He says the slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. God wants to get to the true facts about your life. The fact is, if we know that we have not been on a course with God, if we know that the facts are that if we're attempting to bring ourselves up to God's expectations or simply our own, that we'll never make it, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, we could stay there. We could live in that moment and feel hopeless about life and hopeless about this world. But when we realize that God has made us sons and daughters, that he makes us truly free for something which brings out a greater life, not only for ourselves but others, it gives such a breath of fresh air. The real facts come out. The fact is, is I'm not working at anything for God, but God is working in you and me. That my life is not solely to get by for 30 or 40 years and retire. It's not only for getting the kids out of the house it's for living in and through them and breathing the word of God into them so they become fully functional adults, loving and living in the Lord. It's so that in our time of retirement, if there's such a thing, that God is again restating our life in a new and blessed way to be his missionaries there as much as we were when we were 20, 30, 40, 50. That God doesn't claim a retirement for us. The fact is our whole life is matched up with a mission to build a legacy in Jesus Christ. For if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Friends, don't forget the Reformation because it's Halloween. Live out Halloween because we are people of the Reformation. Let's pray. Father, it is good to be free. We, we just enjoy in this country more freedoms than pretty much anyone in the world. And although we feel those freedoms perhaps being pressed on and we get concerned and worried, yet to realize that there's nothing about our lives that reflects 
the life of those early Christians. Lord, help us to use the freedoms we have today. If the freedoms are lost some way down the road, perhaps we can bless you and say under this, perhaps we can really live out being free in Jesus, that we are free for eternity. There's nothing that can stop us or hold us back. The facts are in. Christ on the cross is taking care of it all. We are free indeed. We can fact check in the Bible. We can fact check your heart and we can see, Lord, it is most certainly true. Live through us now, Lord, in all that we do for Jesus' sake. Amen. Let's rise and sing.